Welcome to Real Herbalism Radio, show 277, recorded at Big Dog Studios in Eugene, Oregon. Today's show is brought to you by Ace High Graphics. We print custom t-shirts, hats, hoodies, bags, and more using a low-impact, heat-infused printing process you can trust. Get a quote today at acehighgraphics.com. TheRealHerbMarket.com Wouldn't it be nice if there was an online store that sold herbals from verified herbalists making crafted herbal products? Now there is. TheRealHerbMarket.com now, here are your hosts. I'm Candace Hunter. I'm Patrick Hunter. And, and welcome, welcome to, to Real Herbalism Radio. Radio. Hey, gotcha. <laughs> so anyway, it's always, you know, we say this every time, it's so hard to start these things. We, we know what we're going to talk about, we know how we're just going to go, but it's just starting, it always seems to be this, I don't know how to start it. Well, I had a lot of, I loved the fact that um, Oshala Farm and Lisa and Jeff have their, their like the county that they're in is GMO seed free. I think... That, it's such a – it's hard to wrap my mind around that yeah, ability like, for the, their county to have been able to do that. Yes. And the fact that the people actually have the right to make those their own choices because, I mean, there's been so many things about GMO seeds spreading through the pollen into everybody else's crops and pretty much polluting everybody. And for those that don't know what GMO means, it's genetically modified organism. I believe, right? Yes. See, I didn't know I had to make sure. And GMO seeds are have been genetically modified typically, and, and the most common one is to be resistant to um, pesticides, certain pesticides. Certain um, pests. And, and yeah, and pesticides though too, like Roundup. Oh, yeah, yeah. Like, so like yeah, if you have Roundup. Herbicides. Yeah, is, like, yeah. So they're resistant to stuff that kills plants. Exactly. So that's that's the idea behind them, and you know, and in concept, it's really cool. That you have these plants, and they can they can grow and grow and grow, and nothing will you know hurt them, so that they could you know, solve the problem. Well, that's not the way this this has worked out. Um, in fact, they're, what they're talking about now is that it was a short sighted technology that is really actually causing way more problems than it's actually fixing. Yeah, yeah. I I mean, I kind of wonder if part of the desertification, if that's the right word, or the the um, aridification of California and the Southwest in general, where they've used tons of this technology, is in part because of this technology. Well, that I, I'm not sure on. I mean, that I mean, you can just look at rainfall for that one, but I think. But well, it's not just rainfall though. It's also the plants not being able to hold nutrients in the soil, which then causes the nutrients or the soil to become more. That's true. Um, the four main crops that are really heavily GMO'd um, are coin, corn, wheat, soybean, and uh, one other one. Gosh darn it. But it's one of the major ones that we grow here in the U.S. Uh, and, and export. And even funny is like a lot of countries don't even want to have, you know, the GMO um, seeds coming into their or, or stuff coming into their into their countries too. So, you know, we're stuck with a product that nobody really wants. But yeah. And, and we keep getting stuck with it because even if we don't want it, how do you get rid of it when it's rampant and everywhere? Oh, absolutely. And, yeah. you know, and they cross pollinate with other seeds that are not, and there's all this stuff that happens. Yeah. And, and so, um, what's also happening, which is interesting is that because these GMOs were, have been designed to be resistant to all these things, those things have started to fight back, mostly the insects. Oh, yeah. The insects are like, we got this. We will adapt. And they did. And now they're seeing um, more and more damage coming from insects. So what is the what is the solution? Let's pour more and more crap on it. 
Yeah, you know, more, let's um, do more damage to the soil and the environment. Right. So now there's more. So with um, you know, herbicide tolerant GMO like soybeans are facing like a massive weed resistance problems because right. the weeds around them are have, have become resistant to those to all those killers. You know, yeah. as, as Jeff it's Goldblum said in in in, in uh, Jurassic Park, life finds a way. Yeah, it, nature it finds just, a way. Yeah, it just figures it out. Yeah, and um. So you've got them having to put this other stuff on there, which is even worse than the other uh, things. And then it's so bad that they, there's a thing called drift that yeah. happens with with this this herbicide and gets into other people's uh, yeah. farms and stuff. Yes. In fact, there was a very large lawsuit over this. Um, there's a farmer in Missouri did this, and he he lost three thirty thousand trees to this oh, to God. this thing. And he's, heartbreaking. And yeah. Well, he he yeah he was, and he he sued. Yeah, he sued Bayer, which was Monsanto, but he sued Bayer now yeah. for two hundred sixty-five million dollars, and he won. See, the thing that astounds me is that, like, for instance, like you know, Lee said, our county didn't act fast enough. It didn't act with her county and Josephine right. County, and therefore, our county, which houses a decent-sized you know university, and Lynn County, which is just north of us and houses a huge agricultural program are not GMO-free counties. Well, does that mean that you can even trust any of the information coming out of those schools? Because how do they know, how do you know that they don't have drift or they don't have other GMO, GMO pollens polluting their crops? It's, it's, you know what I that's mean? entirely possible. I mean, that's to me, I mean, it's astounding that, that, or the state of Oregon would say, Oh, yeah, we're not going to allow other counties to go GMO free, which means that we were seriously compromising, as far as I can tell, the science that we rely so heavily on because that's a huge piece of our industry here in, in this area of Oregon. Well, yeah. I mean, well, even, well, even in, in Eastern Oregon, I mean, you have, yeah. you have wheat growing. Uh, yeah. You know, the, you know. the, yeah. Um, the thing is, is that, the other thing that that happens with all of this stuff is, you know, aside from the issue with the plants themselves, let's talk the soil health. Yeah. Or lack of soil. That's health. what I'm talking about with the de desertification, and that this must. I'm betting this had a strong impact on what's happened down in well, in you know, California, that area. You're right. I mean, we we saw that documentary. It was at a big little farm. I think it was called. Yeah, the, the little big farm. little big farm. It was in Southern California. It was in Hulu, yeah. and these this couple got it, and yeah, it took him what five years of struggle to change it over to something. And, and whereas all their neighbors hadn't changed any of their practices, you know, they, they had a, they set up a water catchment with a big pond. They, yeah. they, they changed all the soils they had, you know, they added all these things to, you know, the natural stuff back in, you know, the grazing yeah. of animals, the, the fertilizers, all these things. And yes, they went through some growing pains for those five years. And they will even tell you that in oh, the yeah. documentary, but by the end of it, now when they pull up dirt and soil, it's actually soil yeah. and they have better water retention. They can their trees and everything can handle the you know have been handling the drought better you know as, as of when this was and filmed. And the winds and storms that had blown through didn't rip away their topsoil as it did right. their neighbors. Exactly. So you, you can look at that and say you know it it'll take time, but honestly, five years that's not to very turn long over, you know, to reverse decades, decades of damage, of and damage, yeah. abuse. I mean, that's so it's it's a, if you haven't ever seen that documentary, and it was called again, cast little. I think it was the little big farm. We'll have to we'll put it in the show notes. Show notes. It'll, it's on. It's currently streaming on on Hulu. If that's one of the the ones that you get, and the article that I was looking at um, with Candice was the um, it's from the Organic and Non GMO Report website, and it's called "Coming Obsolescence of GMO Seeds." 
by Ken Rosborough, and it was published this year um, in February. And I'm frankly kind of happy to see this. I mean, I, I we have been going down the wrong road so much on um, our monoculture on our one-way track of planting and our one way of doing it. I'm not a farmer. I'm not in that industry. I know there's challenges. I understand that. Yeah. But it just seemed like to be, you know, if you want to talk about, you know, that farmer's common sense, yeah. that they're supposed to have the best common sense, it doesn't seem common sense for someone to buy a seed that then requires you to use their herbicide so that you can't. You know, it's like this whole system is like it doesn't make sense. Yeah, creating you know? that kind of – Locked-in system is generally non-common sense, especially when you start looking at making your living from the natural world. Because the natural world throws you curveballs all the time. Right. It changes the, the dynamics all the time. That's, that's normal. That's the rule of nature is change. So why would you want to be locked into a rigid system that you cannot escape? That's a prison. And many of the farmers, that is what ends up happening. And at the end of the day, they, they don't, you know, farming, they're losing uh, farmers at a record pace in general. Yeah. I kind of think what happened was that 50 years ago, farmers thought this will make it easier. That farming will somehow become easier. I won't have to think as much, you know, work it, figure it out as much. Because that's challenging. I mean, we all face that level of thinking that we kind of wish we would not have to think as much in any career. All careers. It's always like that. And I kind of think these rigid systems were a lure. And ultimately, it's like a fishing lure, you know, lures you to your death. It's not not taking you where you want to go. You do need to stay creative and stay vital. And the problem with the exhaustion that I think probably led to people thinking this was going to be a great choice is that we need to change our overall values. Everybody needs to. I mean, we can't keep running at a really hard pace. You can't run full steam ahead all the time. You're going to run out of steam really fast. Yeah. And I think the GMO structures or systems that they came up with and, and all of those were a false promise, you know. Yeah. Temporary, short, very short-term gain, semi-gain, hopeful gain, hope of short-term gain for long-term death. If you've ever felt like the black sheep or oddball in the crowd because you absolutely love the plants, the Herbal Nerd Society wants you. We've got a place ready, set for you among our community of plant geeks and herbalists at the Herbal Nerd Society. But be aware that we'll keep you busy learning about the plants on all levels, phytochemistry, energetics, formulation, essential oils, and how to put it to use in real life. If that's your jam, join us at HerbalNerdSociety.com. Um, so anyway, yeah, I think anyway. I think it's a good thing to see it's happening. And I'm happy to see many farmers are starting to decide to go back to the things that, that made their land good and made what they did better. Yeah, and connected them, I think, more deeply with the land, which I think usually ends up with better everything happier lives for the farmers, happier lives for the plants, mm -hmm. you know, a system that's just much happier and more productive and healthful. Mm -hmm. 
So yeah, I thought that was pretty cool. I mean, you know, as far as planting seeds, this year was a bust for me for planting. I mean, yeah, we've talked about it. it it's it's uh, ridiculous how bad the my <laughs> seeds did not grow like two of the 30 of the seeds that I planted actually sprouted. And these are ones that you had saved? That you had harvested, but these were not commercially bought seeds, right? Um, well, actually, I do have a squash plant that for up until the first week in August was literally 12 inches total across. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was super short. That was the plant that you said was so big, and I laughed at you. I'm like, yeah, no, it's only like 12 inches. It's a really small plant. Then we had that heat wave, and it exploded. I mean, it was putting on like six inches overnight. It it became the size it should be. And it's got, you know, squash starting to flowering and squashes beginning to form. Mm. That one is a seed that I purchased. It's a Tokyo blue squash. I've never grown it before, but I thought, oh, I'll give this a try. If I like it, I'll save some seeds. Right. And then there's another one that's a volunteer, and I'm not actually sure yet what it is. I saved a few melon seeds, and I saved some squash seeds last year. And then the rest of the melon and the squash got buried in the garden in that spot. So it's either a watermelon or a squash. My bed is on the squash, and it's volunteered. So it was like sort of saved. (laughs) You know? Right. The other squash seeds that I saved, I didn't. I was going to plant them, and then I just never did. And then a friend of mine gave me some tomato plants from seeds that he had started. So I planted those in the spot where the squash was going to go, and that's fine. He planted more squash than he can use, so he said he'd give me plenty. So I decided that'd be good. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this year I've been saving seeds as we go. I mean, I had some Tulsi that I saved the seeds from. I have some motherwort. I saved some motherwort seeds and some parsley seeds. And all of those will be, I'll plant those. Hopefully next year they'll actually grow. I honestly don't know why seeds didn't grow for me this year. It's really, they didn't grow in the garden. They also didn't grow in the, um, I did the starting early, the seed trays and Mm -hmm. stuff. I tried that too. And I didn't get anything to grow. It was kind of freakish. I had just had a theory that you just, now you just debunked because of what you just said. So yeah, it wasn't from, we tried the, the dig in composting in one bed this year. Mm-hmm. That's the bed that has the squash plant that's actually growing. And then the eggplants that my friend also gave us those and those are growing slowly, but yeah, they're really slow. Uh, no, I was thinking of more along the line. Maybe, you know, this is still maybe, you know, we, when we cleaned the duck ponds this year, we we had a lot of the the bottom waste that we yeah. you know we, we we put a lot of that in there because it's heavily organic compounds. But we gave a lot to our neighbor, and her her garden's growing. Her garden was growing great, very good. So. so maybe it's not that. <laughs> no, I think there's something about my energy and seed planting this year, or something like that. It, you just weren't with one with the seed camps. I wasn't, but somehow I was one with the perennials. We bought the tea plants, and they're doing great. And then we bought lavender I put in and the honeyberry bush that we actually just moved from one spot to another, but we will be much happier. Mm-hmm. I added some Ursa Irvi and some rosemary, uh, peonies, 
several more. I can't remember some sedge. I mean, the plants that I planted, the jasmine, all of those have done really well, surprisingly well, because my friend, even, you know, despite that, like the, there was a heat wave that we had in, I think it was July. Yeah, end of June. Yeah. That heat wave ended up causing a lot of problems for my friend who did really well with the seeds. His perennials really suffered, whereas mine did not. And we are close to each other. I mean, right. so we had pretty much the same weather. Yeah. And he is, in all honesty, a much more, a better gardener than I am. I mean, he just really, he's very good. And I'm not as good. Let's <laughs> just say. But our perennials have done really well. So for some reason, this year was apparently not my year for annual and seed type of starting. It was more for planting perennials. It happens. Mm-hmm. It does. The seeds that I did save and that I will be saving over the rest of this season, I'm going to use next year, and I'm sure it'll be fine. They'll grow. I've never had a year like this before, ever, where seeds that I planted, where nothing I planted grows. That is, that's just like weird. <laughs> so weird. There is an Herbal 101, uh, and it is from Ariel. And Ariel asks, um, can mugwort be substituted with nutmeg in formulas such as the Four Thieves vinegar? Well, Candice, can That is a really good question. The Four Thieves vinegar that we have is a recipe that Sue wrote for us years ago. It's really effective. It's a really good, solid recipe. And it is based on, she did a lot of research, it's based on what the original Four Thieves most likely would have used. Sure. There's a load of variations on that formula out used in various forms, including essential oils forms and stuff like that. And some of them do use nutmeg. Um, I would suggest that if you need to remove them, the mugwort because you don't have it or whatever, wormwood would be my next favorite choice. But if you don't have access to that, I would consider nutmeg as well. Nutmeg definitely would work. Um, but I would definitely caution you that if you're using nutmeg, or wormwood, but really if you're using nutmeg, keep it as an external formula because nutmeg has psychedelic properties to it that can become scary and dangerous if you take too much of it. So generally, you know, the Four Thieves vinegar is meant to be a very strong vinegar. So you, you're going to be using a higher dose of nutmeg. So you need to be, if you're going to use it internally, be careful, mm-hmm. be careful about your dosing. So is, and I, based on our question, I, I, I'm, I could be wrong, but the way it seems like it was worded, um, I think she was looking for an overall can mutt work be substituted in general uh, by by nutmeg. And you use Four Thieves as an example, but other recipes that would call for not necessarily for mutt work. So in it's not thieves, it's not a one to one. No, not necessarily. No, in okay. Four Thieves vinegar specifically is what I'm talking about. You could use yarrow as a substitute instead of mugwort as well if you want to do it for internal. Um, but in any other formula, you'll have to take a look at the formula and determine what is it that the mugwort is doing in the formula and what is the intent of the formula before you can make a decision about nutmeg or any other substitutes. Well, great. So I hope that answers your question, Ariel. Yeah. And till next time, when put an herb on it. it. The statements made about herbs and products on this podcast have not been evaluated by the United States Food and Drug Administration, FDA. They're not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. 
All information provided on this podcast or any affiliated websites is for informational purposes only and is not intended as a substitute for advice from your physician or other healthcare professional. You should not use the information on this podcast and its affiliated websites for a diagnosis or treatment of any health problem. Always consult with healthcare professional before starting any new vitamins, supplements, diet, or exercise program before taking any medication, or if you have or suspect you might have a health problem. Any testimonials, questions, or case studies are based on individual results and do not constitute a guarantee that you will achieve the same results.